Chapter Five of Half Hours with the Lower Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. Half Hours with the Lower Animals by Charles Holder. Chapter Five, The Corals. The real gardens of the sea. The gulfs enchanted where the siren sings and coral reefs lie bare are in the tropics, where the great coral reefs extend for miles in countless shapes, forming branches, heads, fans, and many forms which never fail to delight the eye of the observer. For many years I lived upon a coral key or island in the center of a coral reef. The key was half a mile in circuit, and was made up of coral sand, or sand composed of ground coral and shells. It was just above the surface, so near that almost anywhere salt water could be found a few feet below. Yet in this sandy soil, coconuts, bananas, and other tropical plants grew in profusion. A grove of bay cedars and mangroves added to its attractiveness and gave it the name of Garden Key. The history of this reef is easily told. Ages ago there was no reef. There was no island, but perhaps a submarine plateau a long distance below the surface. It gradually grew by the dropping of the minute shells described on page 15. After many ages, it attained an altitude which brought its summit within 100 or 200 feet of the surface. Now its growth became more rapid, as a new factor came upon the scene. The reef-building corals do not, as a rule, thrive or grow in water deeper than 200 feet, and nearly all prefer water very much shallower. So, as soon as the submarine hill entered this zone, the eggs and young of the various reef-building corals obtained a foothold, and the growth was ever upward, countless forms aiding in it. The lower portion was continually dying, the animals occupying only the upper story, so that a cap of stone was being formed on the top of the hill, which after many years reached the surface. The sea now broke up the tips of the branch coral. They became ground up. A curious seaweed which secreted lime appeared, and this and the ground coral and shells formed a muddy flat, which, aided by various objects that flowed upon the ocean, constituted a miniature island. Now something which resembled a cigar, one end downward, came floating along. If we could have examined it, curious little rootlets would have been seen growing from the lower portion. This stranded on the island, and the little cigar proved to be the seed of the mangrove tree. Its roots grew and caught in the mud, and soon a tree appeared growing on the newborn island. Its roots presented a base, about which sand and mud rapidly accumulated, and so the key or island grew, until it became the garden key of today. Such is the history of an ordinary coral island, built up not by corals alone, but by countless animals. Even today, some writers describe this coral animal as an insect, but it is an entirely different animal so closely related to the anemones that very few can distinguish between them. For the purpose of examination, we may consider a coral animal as a sea anemone possessing the faculty of taking lime from the seawater and secreting it in the little rooms which we have found existing in the anemones, there forming a little platform, then partitions or cells as the case may be. In figure 33 is shown a section of branch coral. The star-like spots are the polyps with their tentacles outspread as in feeding. They may be considered so many anemones, each resting in a little cell, 
and all connected by a common brown or olive-hued tissue. This is a many-celled coral, while that shown in figure 34 is an example of a single-celled coral, a huge anemone with a framework of lime. These single-celled corals are often found in very deep water. In the vicinity of Garden Key on the Florida Reef, there are six or seven keys, each almost surrounded by a deep blue channel. On the east, a long fringing reef is forming, which some day may form an atoll. In this lagoon are acres of beautiful branch coral, rising two or three feet from the bottom in a mass of points almost bare at low tide, and at the very lowest tides becoming exposed and dying. At certain places on the edges of channels are vast heads of coral, some being four feet high and six or seven feet across. Many of these are hollowed out into great vases and filled with beautiful sea fans, the gorgonias, in yellow, lavender, and brown, while in and out swim fishes of beautiful colors. The surface of these heads is often dotted with objects which resemble flowers of gorgeous hues, red, blue, white, and spotted. At the slightest alarm or jar, these disappear, showing themselves merely worms, which have bored into the coral, the flower-like petals being the breathing organs. Along the sides of the channels, the groves of branch coral dip down, and thirty feet below the surface the growth is much more vigorous, the branches often being three or even four feet in length, and resembling the antlers of the elk. Wishing to see how deep the coral descended, I had a boat held on the edge of the channel, and taking a heavy stone in my hands allowed myself to sink. The stone carried me down rapidly for perhaps twenty feet, until the water was perceptibly colder and the light very dim. Yet as far below me as I could see, the almost perpendicular wall of coral extended, being in all probability sixty feet in height and almost vertical. As I swam upward not four feet from the jagged points, I could plainly see the beautiful coral with parrotfishes garbed in brilliant tints poising among the great branches. The coral on this reef grows or flourishes more or less in communities. The great heads are found in groups, the branch coral in plantations, if the word can be used, in the center of the lagoon and on the edge of the deep channels. On a shallow point, growing among seaweeds, I found small heads five or six inches long. In the surf, where it piled in upon the reef, grew a beautiful form known as leaf coral, spreading out like the horns of the moose in great leaf-like shapes. This crept near the ground, and was surrounded by its cousins the gorgonias, in lavender and yellow. The whole presented a beautiful appearance when seen from above, through a water-glass or glass-bottomed boat. In most of these corals, the branches were covered with the small cells of the coral animal, made up of thousands of individual polyps. Others, again, had very minute cells, yet the entire head might weigh a thousand pounds. Another large head is called brain coral, as the animals are arranged in deep trenches or convolutions. In the star coral, Astrea, the polyps resemble stars and are much larger than those on other corals. Occasionally, I have found a branch of coral on which there was perhaps a bunch of eight cells, each half an inch across, the group resembling a bunch of flowers. These were generally in the deeper parts of the lagoon, where the water was fifteen or more feet deep, and therefore out of reach of the coral tongs. I would therefore dive down for it, the coral being distinctly visible in these clear and limpid waters. This rose coral, as we called it, was the work of a few polyps. Another kind was very delicate, the polyps being almost invisible. 
It was called pepper coral, as when tasted it burned the tongue violently. Still another, which grew in heads a foot or two across, had a peculiar habit of floating when free of animal matter. Large heads, when tossed from the beach where they had drifted, went sailing away like boats. Still another coral has cells at short intervals up the branch. Another is cup-shaped with a single polyp. One of the most remarkable corals has the cells of the polyps arranged after the fashion of a pipe organ, from which the coral takes its name, while the polyp itself, when expanded, resembles a daisy. Formerly, corals were supposed to be confined to the warm waters of the tropics, but this is true only of the reef builders, which require a temperature not lower than 63 degrees, and are rarely, if ever, found at a greater depth than about 180 feet. Single polyp corals, like fungia, are found at great depths in the ocean, and certain corals grow in the Santa Catalina Channel on the Pacific coast. In the Atlantic, as far north as Long Island Sound, where the water is often icy cold, is found the beautiful astrangia, a coral in which the polyps are pure white and about five one-hundredths of an inch in length. In a general way, we have passed in review some of the typical corals, and may now glance at their manner of growth. If we cut one of the cells of a coral across, we shall have a figure similar to that shown in figure 39. The white radiating partitions are coral. The black spaces are rooms, which correspond to the little apartments in the anemone. The coral develops by eggs and by budding, just as in the case of its cousin, the anemone. The eggs, after enjoying a free-swimming life for a while, settle upon the bottom and begin to secrete lime. They do not build up a house, as the mythical coral insect is described as doing, but secrete it, much as any animal secretes its bones or shell. As the water flows through the animal, it is enabled to secrete the lime dissolved in the water. If we could watch every step of the growing process, we should first see a little platform of lime attached to the stone or object upon which the young coral animal has dropped, then a little edge or rim which increases in size daily. Out from this rim shoot the partitions, as shown in figure 39. It will be observed that they do not meet and join, but leave a place in the center for the stomach. Finally, the cell is completely formed, and we have a perfect cup of lime, a coral cell in which is ensconced the anemone-like coral polyp. Its color is an olive brown, and when the polyp is expanded, its little tentacles resemble the petals of a flower. With these, it catches food, which it eats in very much the same way as do the anemones. If this cup is a branch coral, soon a bud appears upon the side, and a new cup or cell takes shape. Then another is added, and we see the coral enlarging, branching out either by budding or simply dividing until a large branch is the result. This growth is much more rapid than is generally supposed. The brain coral has been known to grow an inch or double its size in a year, and branch corals grow six or eight inches in this time. The corals and reefs form the great girders of the globe. The one off Australia is over a thousand miles in length, and all over the world are found fossil reefs. Thus, in the Helderberg Mountains of New York, I have followed and traced a coral reef, quite as wonderful in its way as that now growing and reaching out in Florida. By some upheaving of the earth's surface, it has been pushed up into the air, a monument telling of the wonderful changes in nature and of the time when the waters of New York were as warm as those of Florida. Side by side with the corals, and among the most beautiful objects of these submarine gardens, 
we find objects which resemble plumes and fans. These are called gorgonias and are cousins of the corals. They resemble fans made up of a fine network or reticulated surface. They are richly colored yellow, brown, and lavender, those of the latter color being particularly beautiful. When there is a surf, they can be seen waving and bending gracefully, like the limbs of a tree in a gale. One of the best known of this group is the red coral of commerce, found in the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. When alive, the coral base or branch is covered with a crust or skin in which the animals live, connected one with another. The polyp stands very high and is white. The crust itself, the solid lime base, is formed of a number of minute parallel tubes. This coral is dredged by collectors in the deep water, and is scraped and polished until the beautiful red color, so highly prized for jewelry, is brought out. Closely allied to the corals are the sea pens, which are common in almost all waters, and among the most beautiful forms. They are communities of polyps. In the sea pen, the polyps are arranged along the branches, so that a fluffy fan or an ostrich plume is imitated. I have taken these animals from deep water when they measured perhaps five inches in length, but an hour later when placed in a tank, the insignificant animal had expanded until it was five times as large and beautiful beyond description in its garb of delicate pink. At night it was a blaze of light, which flashed from branch to branch, from polyp to polyp. When irritated in a perfectly dark room, this specimen created so brilliant a phosphorescent light that I could almost read large print by it. In the deep sea lives a giant form, the Umbelolaria, four or five feet high, and there are many more, all of which add to the lights of the deep sea. Near allies of these attractive forms are the comb-bearers, free-swimming, jelly-like forms of great beauty and grace. I have kept the radiant Pleurobrachia in a tank where I observed its wonders and beauties. The one known as Veritilium is very beautiful and a marvelous light-giver. End of chapter 5